Welcome to Bloom, the podcast where mums share their unfiltered birth experiences. We hope that by listening to their stories, you feel empowered and inspired wherever you are on your own journey. Welcome to Bloom. Before we dive into today's episode, we just wanted to say a big thank you to all of you who are listening and supporting the podcast, as well as the amazing mothers that we talk to. We love to hear from you, so if you have any feedback for us, if there are topics that you'd love us to cover in more detail, and especially if you know a mum whose story should be shared with the world, please get in touch through our Instagram page. We're always looking for all kinds of stories that will help other mothers feel better prepared as they journey into motherhood. Thank you and enjoy the episode. Well, today we have a very special guest, Nia. Thank you for being here today and agreeing to share all of your experiences with us. It's a real pleasure to have you on the podcast. How are you doing today? Very well, thank you. Very well indeed. I am personally so excited to have you here because not only are you my own wonderful mother for full transparency, so this feels very special, uh, but also because you have, from my perspective at least, dedicated your entire life to your family and to especially bringing up your children. And it has to be said, you know, sacrificing a lot of yourself in the process. So we'll get into all of this together, but I think your experiences will contain a lot of insights for many of us who are only at the very start of our journeys. Um, So thank you so much for being here today and uh, thank you for everything that you're going to share with us. That's my pleasure. Let's get into it. So to get started, we ask everybody the same question. Please, could you tell us your name, your age, where you're from, what you do in life? And please introduce us to your lovely family. So I'm Nia Derry, Amelia's mum. I'm in the Lake District. We live in the Lake District. We moved here seven years ago. I run two Airbnbs. That's my day job. And then the rest of the time, I garden, walk, play golf. I'm 60. My husband's John. And then we have Matthew and Amelia and Annie. And sorry, how old are your children? I can't remember. (laughs) How old is Matthew? Amelia, how old are you? You're getting me on the spot now as well. Annie is 26. Okay, I think Matthew is 33 and I think I am about to turn 32. I think that's right. Okay. That's terrible. It's not very good that between us we can't be sure. I can't, honestly, that's dreadful. Well, let's start at the very beginning how and when did your journey to motherhood begin? Did you always know that you wanted to be a mum and a mum of three children? I always knew I wanted to be a mum. And yes, three children. I was a family of three. And it was always a number that I thought would be, you know, would be nice. And I always knew that I wanted you quite close together because that's what my mum had done and my brother and I very close. And when your dad and I met, I knew we, you know, we were ready to have children pretty quickly. We both decided we wanted a family as soon as possible. Um, So that's what we did. You say that you felt like you always wanted to be a mother. What, you know, this was the age without internet, without all of the content that we're swarmed with these days. How, what were the influences on you? What made you want to become a mother? And actually, what was your image of motherhood when you were imagining yourself? What did it look like in your head? 
my mother worked full time. Um, she was a doctor, and my father was a doctor. So we had a we had people looking after us all the time. We didn't actually have um, my parents around very much, and I just knew that I wanted my children to have me around or my husband around, depending on what we were doing. But it really that really made me very focused on that I would be happy to really just be that that sort of that link that kingpin I suppose within the household to make sure my children had somebody there. You mentioned uh, meeting your husband John how did that come about when did that come about and then how did you decide to have a family? So we we met in the workplace Um, he worked for another company but was regularly visiting our company Um, and in fact we were set up on a blind date by one of my colleagues at work we hit it off straight away. We were actually engaged within five months and married in under a year, <laughs> which is a bit bonkers. But I just felt, we both felt that we'd met the right person and our lives were going in the same direction and we wanted the same things. So, you know, we were talking about having a family before we got married. You know, it, it was cropping up in conversation. You know, how many kids would we have and all that sort of thing. So we knew very clearly that, you know, that's what we wanted. And hence, when we got married, we tried to have a baby straight away and I fell pregnant straight away. Wow, so everything happened really quickly. When you say you fell pregnant straight away, how quick are we talking? Um, on our honeymoon, <laughs> I fell pregnant. Okay, pretty immediately. Immediately. How did you both feel? Was it a surprise still? Because, I mean, that is fairly rapid. No, it wasn't really a surprise. Um, we were pre- preparing to move down to London we lived in a house in Harborn in Birmingham and John was at work and I got a pregnancy test and did the test. So when he came home from work, I knew that I was pregnant, but it was early days, obviously. Test kits had just come out, you know, they were fairly new then. And we were both delighted and very excited. And we then moved down to London two weeks later. It was very upheaval because... John started a new work, for, a new job for Coca-Cola and was gone all hours. I wasn't working. The plan was for me to work, but unfortunately I twisted my ankle very badly and I was on crutches for eight weeks. John pretended to throw a spider at me <laughs> and I ripped my ankle going down a tiny step and I tore the ligaments off my lower leg, ankle. For basically your first trimester... Yeah, I actually became a bit agoraphobic, so it wasn't the easiest time because we also didn't really know anybody. The people I knew in London were working. So, so when you say you became agoraphobic, after that time being trapped inside, how would you describe that? I didn't want to go out on my own. I found it very difficult to actually even walk out of the apartment. But then I gradually started doing it, just making myself walk to the end of the road and back. It went... That's why I think a lot of it was hormonal, because I felt very different mentally and emotionally um, once I was in my second trimester. And obviously you had a huge amount of change going on. It was a basically a new partner, a new setup, a new house, a new city. You didn't know anyone and you were injured. So 
and you were pregnant. So a lot of transformation going on all at the same time. Yeah, exactly. Going into your second trimester then, what happened in terms of pregnancy symptoms? I, I felt very well in my second and third trimester. The sickness had gone, so I felt well. Because that nausea is, even though I was never sick, you'd eat something and you'd suddenly feel really sick. How did you feel as you got closer to the birth? You know, you've not done this before. You didn't have the internet. Maybe that was a good thing. Maybe that was a bad thing. How were you preparing for the birth and having the child? Um, I had a book. You had no resources then. Unless you joined the NCT, which was really very costly. And a bit right on then. You know, it was a little bit sort of, you you have to breastfeed. You have to do this. You have to do that. Mm. So I didn't really fancy that. Um, I think there was a class at my doctor's, perhaps one class about the, of the birth, and also the hospital um, showed you around the delivery suites. So I read, I read about it in the book, just, you know, what was going to happen in the next trimester. But in terms of the birth itself, obviously I knew about pain relief because you read about it. It was almost like blissful ignorance. Obviously I knew it would be painful. I knew it would be, could take a long, long time. I almost think it was good that I was in blissful ignorance in some ways. You did mention that your parents were doctors, though. So did you have conversations with them at all about what was going to happen? And, and what was their take on how to prepare or what, what advice did they give you? Um, I, I remember talking to my dad about it. Not my mum so much, um, but my father. The, the sort of main bit of advice that he gave me when choosing how my birth plan and where I would have my baby um he very clearly said to me be in hospital why would you not be where you could have every bit of care pain relief particularly because he said you can have pain-free childbirth um and in fact I did end up having an epidural with Matthew because my labor was very long um, and in fact, I subsequently went on to have two more epidurals with you and Annie, which I found fantastic. My mother was obviously quite always checking up on me. Um, I had a blip at 12 weeks. John went to America and I had a bleed. So I was in Birmingham with my mum and dad and mum was brilliant. She bed rested me. She just said, right, you bed rest, that's it, you know, you don't move. Um, and she was very caring and, you know, looked after me. She went into doctor mode. Absolutely doctor mode. That was the only blip I had in all three pregnancies. I was very lucky. Um, the only time it became a bit intrusive when my mum was phoning in the labour ward, she actually, because she was Dr. Bennett, she got through to the delivery suite where I was lying on the bed and they kept handing me the phone saying, your mother's on the phone, <laughs> saying, why hasn't that baby been born yet? You've been, you've been in labour 26 hours, 27 hours. The baby should be out by now. What's going on? <laughs> so, you know, she was in doctor mode during my labour. Can you imagine me phoning you in your labour suite? <laughs> no, I don't think I would have liked that. What actually happened when you started going into labour? Where were you? What happened in the early stages? I was uh, due on the 26th. And on the 25th of May, I had my last appointment at 9.30 in the morning. So your dad took me to that appointment. I saw the consultant and I'd had a show that morning. Um, and he said, you're one centimetre. 
go home. Um, you know, you are dilating, you're starting. I had no pain, nothing. Go home and relax and we'll probably see you later. So I basically went home. Your dad was getting his suit on to get to work because he was going to go in for the afternoon. And um, I had had a bath and I was lying on the bed in my towel and Joe McGuinness, my gorgeous cousin, phoned me to see how I was doing, knowing that that was due the next day. And she told me a joke. I sadly can't remember what the joke was now. And my waters broke as I was laughing. So that was quite funny. And she was like, oh, my God, Ned, so I've made you go into labour. <laughs> that was terribly funny. Must have been a good joke. It, yeah, like, I must ask her what the joke was because I can't remember. <laughs> At that point, I said to your dad, right, we've got to go in now. Because they said, if your waters go or anything, come in. You know. Then I started getting contractions. And we got in the car and the first thing your father said, so I've got a towel. I'm sitting on a towel because there's water gushing. Your father said, I've got no petrol in the car. <laughs> so we have to go to the petrol station. All the things you're not supposed to do. So we went to the petrol station, filled up with petrol. I went in, by which point the contractions were coming pretty thick and fast. I had a bath. Uh, it was it was very painful because they ascertained that Matthew was um, posterior position. So his spine was lying on, I think that means his spine was lying on my spine, which is most babies are born the other way around. Um, and um, so it was very back achy, painful. You know, mm. it wasn't pleasant um, in the early stage. You know, it wasn't pleasant at all. So I had a bath to see if I could actually alleviate things. And then I had some pepidin. Because um, the gas and air, I didn't really like the gas and air because it made me feel quite out of control. Mm. So they gave me pepidin, which knocked me out, and I slept for an hour or so. And then when I woke up, they examined me, and I was only two centimetres or something. There was, you know, there wasn't, it was very slow. Mm. They really, they said, your break, the baby's head is plugging where the, the, the water, the amniotic fluid. So that's going to slow things down. So at some point, we'll re-break your water. What did they mean by that? The head was blocking the water from coming out? Yeah, yeah. So it's a hind water break. So they said, you're breaking your, um, where the uh, break in the sack is, will be behind, further up from the baby, mm. i.e. not just at the top of the cervix. Mm -hmm. So when I had Annie, it was gushing. It was just every contraction that was water gushing and gushing and gushing when the waters went, and that continued. With Matthew, the head had plugged. It was acting like a cork. Mm -hmm. So that was slowing things down. Mm. Um, so they said, what we'll have to do is see how you go this afternoon and into the evening, and we'll basically um, then re-break your waters. So I think it was about 10 o'clock at night. By the time I was progressing, but it was terribly painful because of this posterior position mm. um so i actually had at that 10 i had an epidural um because i was still only about five centimeters you know it was wasn't really you know progressing that quickly um so and then i was able to sleep a bit overnight but not really you don't really sleep you know i could i i couldn't you know sleep that well and also you're stationary then those days you had your epidural and you were you had a catheter in and you were you were stationary yeah. you know you were on drips and all sorts of stuff um 
So um, it was awful for your dad because there was a chair in the room, but they weren't reclining chairs or, you know, it was just a chair. Um, but there was a room you could go to where you could, it was the father's room. But everybody smoked then. So that's where all the fathers went to smoke. So your father managed to lie on the floor, I think, for an hour or so and sleep. Hang on. In the hospital, there was a room where men would smoke. There was a smoking room. In the hospital? Yeah. People used to smoke. People used to smoke in hospital at their beds years ago. (laughs) Yeah. That's mad. (laughs) It was a very different... It's crazy, isn't it? So it was a horrible, stinky room. Mm. And then I remember um, we were getting towards the birth. Um, oh, just going back a bit, I was being looked after by an SHO. What's an SHO? A senior house officer. Okay. Um, so not the consultant. It was the next sort of level down. Um, and... Um, they wasn't that on the ball, to be honest. Um, so they'd rebroke my waters, sort of after I'd had the epidural, and then the, the labour was progressing. And then we get to, got to the point where um, it was probably about four or five in the morning, where with my contractions, Matthew's heart rate is, you know, starting to dip a bit. So the registrar came in. Um, so she she was more senior, and just said. I don't want this lady when it comes to pushing. I don't want her pushing because the heart rate is, it's already a longish, you know, it's just been in labour a long time. Um, oh, and the bit I'd forgotten to say was I kept trying to go into false labour from about three weeks before I had Matt. Mm. So when I went to the hospital for that last appointment on that Friday morning, I was basically waking up with painful contractions. They weren't just back to Hicks. I was getting pain with the contractions. And they said, it's absolutely fine as long as you don't have, you know, your waters don't break or whatever. But I wasn't sleeping mm. with it. So for three weeks running up to the birth, I was very sleep deprived mm. to the point where that consultant, when I saw him in the morning, he said, if you don't go into labour now, he said, I'm actually going to give you sleeping tablets because you are on your knees now. Mm. You know, you're really, really, really tired. Mm. Anyway, so I was I was tired, you know, going into the labour. It was overnight, which a lot of labours are. Um, and so we get into about half five, six in the morning and this registrar comes in and says, right, I'm, I'm getting a bit concerned about this baby. It's getting tired. We need this labour to progress, you know, um, and I'm worried so, but I don't want this lady pushing for her words. Mm-hmm. So the midwife switch over um, at seven o'clock in the morning and I'm fully dilated and in theory, Matthew is starting to come down the birth canal. Um, unfortunately, this midwife in handover hadn't listened to the instructions or what, and I'm knackered. So she's getting me pushing, at which point Matthew's heart rate is dipping badly. Um, so we're then in the position where she is, and I learned, she said, it's my 40th birth, so I want a natural birth. So she was encouraging me to She push, said that to you at the in. time. Yeah. Um, and at this, your father stalks out of the room. And the next thing I know, the registrar came in, walked in, and I'm pushing. 
And her words were, what the bloody hell's going on here? At which point she turns around, turns to this SHO and says, I gave you instructions that this lady was not to push because of the baby's heart rate. Mm. So stop it this instant and just let the baby come down naturally. Mm. So she said, if this baby's not born in the next 15, 20 minutes, we're going to a cesarean. We are mm. moving. So your father goes out of the room and basically, and it's frightening. And the phone was ringing and it's my mother on the phone <laughs> saying, why is the baby not being born yet? You should be born now. What's, what's going on? Mm. Uh, so your father stalks out. And the next thing, gowned up, comes in this registrar, fully gowned up and with forceps. And then they call Matthew out. Um, so we we were in a tricky situation because he was he was stuck. He was he was stuck. And then his head we found out was larger than average because mm. they don't, didn't know that beforehand. You know, it was all hands on deck and it was frightening. And in fact, the registrar the next day came and apologised to me. Gosh, because there just hadn't been the there hadn't been the handover. There hadn't been the the communication. You know, I I didn't. At the time, I should have gone back and said what went wrong. Um, but I didn't. You know, you just don't feel like you want to go through that. I've just been through yeah. that. I've got my beautiful baby. He's fine, thank God. Um, and you just move on. You're then into the appeasing, the epidurals wearing off. I'm in, I'm in agony because <laughs> I've had an episiotomy. Um, I can't sit down because it's so uncomfortable, mm. let alone going to the loo. It's mm. terrifying. So then I'd had him at sort of past 20 past seven in the morning. I think it was 26 minutes past seven in the morning. And um, you, you've got your baby, you know, um, and you put him on the breast and he's sucking on the breast. And so you're just sort of in the moment then and it was wonderful. And that morning we were high up in the building. I'll never forget it because we could see the sunrise. And the sunlight, and you could see St. Paul's in the sunlight. Mm. It was it was quite special. The other thing that really focused my mind on getting out of there, because they wanted to keep me in for three or four days because of the episiotomy and risk of infection and all that sort of stuff. It got to the evening at 10 o'clock and the father went home. He'd been home already, but he'd come back to visit me. And after visiting time, he went. And I'd got Matthew in the bassinet beside me. Um, and the epidural was really wearing off then. Um, and it was not nice. It was unpleasant. It was very painful. So I couldn't really get out of bed because my legs weren't working still. So I pressed the button. And I'll never forget it. This, the curtains were around the bed. Uh, and this Northern Irish nurse, um, midwife, popped her head around and said, what can I do for you? You know, this Irish brogue. And I said, oh, I need some pain relief, please, because this is really painful. What do you need pain relief for? You know, you've only had a baby. At which point I burst into tears. You know, I've got Matthew crying. Mm. I'm trying to breastfeed him. And I've got a nurse that's... Not understanding, yeah. So she disappears off. uh, And I'm in tears. And I'm just thinking, get me out of here. I'm thinking, you know, if I was at home, I could take some paracetamol at least. Yeah. Anyway, the next thing she comes back, right as ninepence. Oh dear, let me take the baby away. Let me. Have, I think she'd gone and read my notes. Yeah. I think she'd actually gone and read what I'd been through. 
Yeah. So she came back, gave me some stronger pain relief, realised I'd think that I'd had an epidural, I'd had an episiotomy, so I would be in pain. Um, and she carried Matthew off. She said, just rest. You mm-hmm. need rest. Mm-hmm. Get some sleep. We'll look after the baby overnight. So I slept, which was amazing. And then Mary Bennett and Dr. Noel McGuinness appear in the morning, out of hours, visiting time. And my mother was a wonderful, you could tell she'd worked in hospital. She had people scuttling around the hospital. The minute Mary Bennett was on the ward, my father knocks the nurse. She said, I'm Dr. Bennett. My daughter's here. I want to see her. And she's been through a rotten labour, blah, 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 you know. And there was my lovely mum who immediately scooped Matthew up in his bassinet. She said, this baby to the, the sister who was looking after me, because they were all bustling around then, of course, you know, because mm. I've got a doctor as, as a mother. Um, I wish she'd been there, actually, the day before, because, mm. you know, it might, have, it might have changed things. Anyway, um, so she just said, this baby's got jaundice. So she wheeled him up to the end of this ward and put him in the sunshine under the window. Mm. I'll never forget it. Mm. Um, oh, and there was another thing that was rather nice. There was visiting time, and there was a he was obviously the grandfather of one of the other mothers on the ward. And um, he put a pound coin in Matthew's cot and said, Open his first bank account with that pound to wish him luck in life, which was really sweet. So, anyway, um, the nurses were all bustling around me then. And, are you okay? And da, 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 how can we help you? Anyway, I just said to Mum, I want to go home. Um, yeah. I've had enough of this place. Oh, and I went to the toilet. This was just before my mother came. And I don't know whether you experienced this, but it was one of the most frightening things, was that I obviously had a bit of afterbirth or something. This great big lump. I went for a wee and this great big lump, the size of my hand almost, mm. of bloody, fatty stuff, hard stuff, came out in my hand, you know, on the tissue paper. Gosh. And I pressed the button because I was in a state of panic. There was blood. Yeah. And I was in a state of panic. Yeah. I thought, what the hell is this? I hadn't yeah. read about that. You know, I've got an episiotomy. I don't want to have a poo. I, you know, because I feel like I'm going to split open. Yeah. Um, and... Um, Anyway, the nurse came, she know it's quite normal. But they don't warn you about these things. No. So I actually um, discharged myself that day. What was your husband's experience of all of this? He must have been very worried. Well, he was great because he took control of the situation. And I learned afterwards he had gone into, when this nurse, this midwife was trying to get me to push, he had heard what the registrar had said. He was on the ball, thank God. And he went into the registrar, who was doing a, a clinical handover to all the doctors. He just marched in and went, I want you in there with my wife and my son now to do something. And that's when she came in, gowned up and pulled that out. Wow. Because I think had he not done that, we might have lost that. Hmm. Yeah. Because we didn't have that much time, you know, in that situation. What happened then when you got home and you were recovering, but you were also learning how to look after 
a little baby for the first time what was that like and what did those first few weeks look like like most mothers it's a bit of a shock to the system because you get home and you are like oh it's me and this baby and I've got to keep it alive I've got to feed it I'm hoping to breastfeed it and I'm hoping he's getting the nutrition he needs and because he was a bigger baby the midwives had said supplement him a bit with a bottle while your milk comes in and I I struggled with breastfeeding because the midwife comes to see you for the first three days and she'll help you to put him on the breast but then you're on your own the rest of the time and you're tired because you're up in the night your dad was brilliant he helped with changing nappies feeding if he could it was difficult because I was sitting on a rubber ring because I'd have the episiotomy Mm. um so I also had lied that I'd had a poo in hospital so I could go home um, mm. because I just thought I want to get home, which I don't suggest anybody else does. <laughs> it was about a week before I did actually go. Really? Wow. And I felt as though I was going to split open. Wow. A week. Yeah. I literally thought I was going to split open. It wasn't the easiest because I was very uncomfortable. You know, you've had quite a big invasive cut. Um, so it was very, very, I just remember it as being absolutely lovely. The only thing that was tricky that I found was that my parents had come to hospital and they'd gone. Um, John's mum and dad came to stay, which was lovely because Margaret was brilliant with the baby, with Matthew, you know, and I was able to go and sleep. So she'd hold him and stuff like that. And your dad did as well, which was good. So I could rest a bit. Um, because I was trying to breastfeed, I did the nights, um, but then would sleep when Matthew slept. That was the, what they said. So I did try to do that, but then when you've got everything else going on. So that was the Sunday, and then it was bank holiday Monday, so your dad was around. He was used to be taking the week off, um, but on the Tuesday, I came downstairs at about 11 in the morning with Matthew, having managed to just about get showered and had a bath and what have you um and dad had got a meeting going on in our dining room <laughs> so he bought coca-cola to us so <laughs> at which point i just said once they've gone i said put your suit on go into the office because there was no point he was his head was in coca-cola not baby mode mm. so he basically basically he did um go back to work straight away Matt gradually was getting hungrier because my milk hadn't come in. Um, so I was bottle feeding him and trying to breastfeed at the same time. But you know what it's like. It's quite stressful. My nipples were getting cracked. So I was using nipple shields and my nipples were bleeding um, and scabbing a bit. So it was painful. And it was actually John's boss's wife who came in she came in the early evening with a lovely basket with a a Marks and Spencer's jam roly-poly pudding and custard and a casserole and a bottle of wine for John and she she'd got four children by that point she went oh he's beautiful he's lovely that baby's hungry where are your bottles Mm. and she went down and got a bottle and I started feeding him um, because it was the Wednesday by that point. I'd had him on the Saturday. 
and my milk hadn't come in properly. It, you know, it was a struggle. And I felt guilty. I felt guilty, but I needed somebody. Because I'd asked the midwife, I said, look, what shall I do? And the, mid- the midwife said to me, only you can make that decision. I needed somebody to say to me, it won't hurt him. Okay, it's not as good as not breastfeeding, but it won't hurt him if you bottle feed him. You know, that child is hungry. Mm. Um, and mm. there wasn't the equipment then to extract milk, uh, pump milk and stuff. So I started bottle feeding and then life was better. You had hoped to breastfeed. So that must have felt like a wrench to to feel like it hadn't worked. Yeah, and also that proximity to your baby, that closeness of having them on the breast, because it's beautiful. I felt like I was a failure because you had other people around you who'd have babies. And I found breastfeeding really easy. I remember certain people. Oh yeah, it was. It wasn't difficult. Why are you find? What's the problem? Why are you finding it difficult? You know those unhelpful people mm. around. You just have to shut out that noise. You just have to switch mm. off. I feel guilty today about it. You know, I tried to breastfeed you, and again, it was difficult. But then I got a thirteen-month-year-old running around. It's amazing how you can have a perfectly healthy baby and grown child and it's still hang over you yeah 30 years on do you think you'll ever be able to let go of it no no why do you think it imprints itself so strongly because as a mother why can't couldn't I breastfeed why can other people breastfeed and I found Mm. it difficult what what's the failing in me that stopped me being able to do that yeah and it's not a failing in you. But it sadly feels like it, you know, because I just couldn't do it. I think we've had the same breastfeeding experience, sadly. Yeah. And, you know, maybe there's some physiological genetic reasons or for, for yeah. what's going on, but I know that... Potentially. When I think rationally about it, I think I know I shouldn't feel guilty because I have two wonderful healthy babies, but... Yes. I list, I think of the reasons it didn't work in my head. And then that horrible voice goes, are they reasons or are they excuses? excuses. I know. Did I just not work at it hard I enough? Know. Did I just not put in the effort? Did I just, did I do something wrong that other people did? Or are they real reasons that actually there were physiological things going on that I couldn't have done anything about that made it much harder? I think the physiology is it, that feels. And as your mother, it upsets me that you feel like that. Because I had that emotion still in me, obviously, because of being able to breastfeed you guys. And I tried with Suzanne when I had her, you know, third time. And it still didn't work. Uh, but as your mum, I want to put my arms around you and tell you to just stop that guilt now. Because it probably was physiological. It probably wasn't your fault. So I don't want you to carry that guilt. You know, perhaps we can both ditch the guilt here and now. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> We're I, both crying. I, <laughs> I just go, because it is horrible. <laughs> Because you feel like you failed your baby, but you haven't. You haven't at all. You have two beautiful boys. And physiologically, we have, we're blessed with larger breasts. 
which <laughs> but why but why does that make it that there's one <laughs> thing that they're good for supposedly and i know and it didn't work i know i know so i want you at this point to just get rid of that guilt park it well, I want the same for you because... Right, well, let's open a box and put it in and <laughs> shut the lid on it and both sit on it. Because, yeah, it, it's a horrible thing to carry for life. So I think we have to just do that. You are a beautiful, gorgeous mum and you adore your children and you're beautiful with your boys. And they couldn't have a nicer mum and a better mum than you are. We all feel the same about you. So we don't want you to feel guilty at know. all. We couldn't have had a better mum, so you need to put that in the box and forget about it forever. Right, well, we'll have that box and let's just shut the lid on it. And it's never going to be opened again. It's amazing how strong those feelings are. Oh, yeah, of course they are. I've come to wonder whether it's maybe size, because it certainly was hard because of that, um, and trying to find any kind of position that didn't suffocate the baby. Yeah, I found that that paired with actually having very flat nipples because when I looked at nipple shields I went well my nipple looks nothing like that (laughs) and so if it's meant to be anything if it's meant to be anything like that shape I'm miles off so (laughs) maybe that combination (laughs) yeah yeah moving on because there are two more births to come (laughs) so you've got one healthy baby and then what happens after that because I arrived very quickly yeah, I mean crazily to... quickly by most people's standards yeah. I wanted a short time between you because there was 13 months between my brother and I so we did we did I did get pregnant quickly um so um and that pregnancy was lovely Again, I love I loved being pregnant. I did feel sick all the way through your pregnancy. I had no complications at all. The only thing was you didn't want to come out. You were very happy where you were. <laughs> um, interestingly, you and Annie were both hand presentation. Now, I wonder with you whether that had stopped your head applying to my cervix because your hand was there. So I, that was, I wondered that. Mm. And then Annie was hand presentation as well. Her little hand came out first. You were like superwoman, both of you, coming out. So basically, that pregnancy was, was lovely. I adored being pregnant. <clears throat> it was quite hard because um, I'd got Matthew. I slipped two discs. Dad had just phoned me to say, I've got a meeting that's going to go on till late. Are you okay? And I went, yeah, I've got Matthew bathed. I was eight months pregnant, I was downstairs and I got Matthew's bottle and um, was fine and he was crawling towards a plug socket and I was sitting on the floor having put his pyjamas on <clears throat> and I just remember he went to grab this plug socket so I just leant over to grab him and my discs went, I slipped two discs. Mm. So I, was, I couldn't get off the floor basically. Um, because I was in a lot of pain. Your father came back at 10 o'clock and I was still there. Matthew, luckily, was with me, so I was able to feed him. And I got the remote control for the telly and I sat and watched TV on the floor. And then when your dad got there, he managed to get me up. Um, But we had to move the mattress downstairs 
into the dining room because I couldn't walk up the stairs. Um, I hadn't had back trouble before, ever, you know. But with your, all your ligaments and everything else are loose, and plus nothing, everything hadn't gone back to how it should have been. Had I had a, a bigger gap between you and Matt, things would have gone back together, you know. Um, so at that mm. point, we found a childminder who was lovely. My due date came, and you didn't come, and um, they induced me with you, and they let me go two weeks over with you. I was due to go in on the Monday, and I was in the bath on the Sunday, and the phone rang. Your dad picked it up, and they said, we're quiet. Would you like to come in today? So that was quite a shock. It was quite a, oh, I'm not ready for it. I'm expecting to have my baby tomorrow, not today. Anyway, got my head around it, went in, and they um, put a pessary in, and it was textbook. And it was it was great, actually, compared to the birth I had with Matthew. It was lovely because um, I dilated one centimetre an hour, centimetre an hour. So at 10 past 10, mm-hmm. I had an epidural because I could plan it. And at 10 past 10 that evening, it was lovely. You appeared and it was almost, I could have almost been having a cup of tea because I hardly had to push. <laughs> except at the last minute because it, they had got quite busy that early evening and midwife wasn't in the room with us <clears throat> and I could I felt like I needed to push and you were coming down the birth canal when your dad pressed the button and said I think somebody needs to come and they rushed in and two minutes later there you were um you know it was it was so different but as a result I tore and I lost a fair amount of blood so I was stitched up and everything mm-hmm. else. Something slightly odd happened in that your dad sat with you until about they took me down to the labour ward and they came back, but they hadn't catheterised me, which was I had been with Matthew. Um, so of course I couldn't walk to the loo. So they got me up to start moving me as the epidural had worn off. This was about one in the morning, I think. And basically the next thing. There is this water gushing as I stood up everywhere. And it was my bladder. It was a full blood. And she went, mm. you weren't having twins, were you? And I was like, no. And so for a minute, I was like, there's not another baby. I was in utter panic mode. And she got me on the bed and she examined me. And she went, oh, no, it's urine. Thank God for So it was a bit chaotic. Anyway, I was... I was fainting, completely <laughs> fainting because I'd had so much, I'd had a bit of blood loss. I don't really remember the night, but I remember every time I tried to get up to go to the loo, I was getting very lightheaded and still in the morning I was. So it was quite funny because your father came to bring us out of hospital the next morning and um, he came to pick me up. They said she can't go yet because she's still nearly fainting. We've got to, you've got to do bloods and check your blood's coming up enough in case we might have to give you a transfusion. And they wheeled me into an old diabetic ward that was empty. Dad was there and he was looking after you and he bathed you for the first time with the midwife because they said, you just need to sleep this off. You know, you need to sleep. So I basically, they put me in this empty ward uh, with your dad and you. So I just slept for a few hours and then my bloods were fine and I could come home. And you were this beautiful long baby. And we've got a couple of names. We've got Annabelle. And Amelia, I'd been calling you Annabelle overnight. And your father walked in the next morning and I said, how is Annabelle? And he went, 
have you looked at your baby yet? Of course I've looked at you. I was breastfeeding you or trying to, you know. And he went, she's not an Annabelle. She is definitely an Amelia. Um, and we got home and mum had come, was there, and she came running out with Matthew in her arms and grabbed you. And she said, what a long baby. Um, and you were beautiful. You were a beautiful, serene, gorgeous, lovely, lovely baby. What was it then like having a 13-month-old and a newborn baby together at home? Luckily, I'd got a bit of help, although we didn't have her in much at the beginning. Um, Mum was there for a week, so she dealt with, she looks, well, actually, no, she, she helped with you. Because I had decided mentally that I would try and breastfeed you, but if I had the issues, I wasn't going to persevere with it. So I tried to breastfeed you for a week. Guilt, 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 guilt. But unlike Matthew, who was a bit of a screamer, you were serene. You were serenity itself. All you, you, you were like Joshua and Harvey. You'd feed, you'd have a, your nappy done, you'd, you'd go at people, and then you'd fall asleep. You were the ideal baby. You were just beautiful. Very like Jesse, Matthew and Izzy's baby. Um, and you'd just sit with your big eyes looking at everybody. You've got Matthew to watch, which was, and he adored you. Mm. For a week, he was put out. And I felt, I felt guilty mm-hmm. that I brought this other child in. Mum actually said, he's depressed. Oh. He's, because Matthew was a sunny, sunny, sunny boy. Mm. And she said, he, and I thought, oh my God, have I scarred him for mm. life? You know, is this going to, is this going to change his character? You know, and he actually laughed when you cried on your <laughs> heel prick. I think he was like, ha, <laughs> they got you, you know. Um, but then the interaction started between you. And I just, it, it was, it was so worth having. It, I mean, it was, it was hard having two babies. You've done it. You know what it's like. But the, the payoff you get from it is an immense mm. because you're so close. Matthew didn't have his nose pushed out, mm. you know, which was fabulous because it meant that you you just played together. Mm. You know, you were best friends um, all the way through. I don't know if it's always been like that, you know, as you got older or, no, you know. But anyway, it, like it, was, really. it was joyous. It really was. And the laughter was just fantastic. Then we have a little bit of a break before Annie comes along. The surprise package. The surprise package. <laughs> I hope you know that, Annie. <laughs> Already, that's not news to you from the podcast. No, she does know that. I secretly had always wanted three. We were a bit rabbit in the headlights. <laughs> we were a bit, oh, we weren't expecting it. Um, but of course, it was just great. And again, I had a really lovely pregnancy. And I had the benefit of you and Matt being at school by that point. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, it was it was a different experience. I felt guilty with you because because Matthew screamed louder. I let you left you to your own devices a lot. Mm. Um, but you were a good baby anyway, so I could do that. When it came to Annie, I just thought this is the last baby I'm going to have. I'm going to sit and just enjoy every minute. Mm. So when I actually had her, I did sit and look at her and play with her and just enjoyed the time with her mm. and it was it, I could do it I've got that knowledge and experience of having had to already so everything is easier 
I had a show in the morning. So I phoned the hospital up and they said, come over because it was the other side of Birmingham. So they said, come in. We'd rather have you here. It's a third baby. You're quite, you know, it could happen quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, so anyway, I went in at about four in the afternoon because we dropped you and Matt off at mum's. Um, half seven in the evening, I was having a cup of tea in bed and whoosh, my waters went. <laughs> and literally every, I never knew what, it, every contraction was a gush. So with Matthew, there'd been this whoosh and a few whooshes and then it stopped. With Annie, every single contraction. So I jumped off the bed, pressed the buzzer, and then basically um, the nurse came and she went, get off the new carpet. <laughs> so I said, I got off the bed because I thought that I'd ruined the bed. And she went, no, it's a new carpet. Get back on the bed. <laughs> so it was quite surreal. And so I phoned your father. He'd only just got back to Hampstead Hill. He left at about 7 o'clock. And this was literally 7.30 in the evening. So I said, oh, things are happening. Or they phoned him. I didn't phone. I know I would have had a mobile phone then, wouldn't I? But he was just going to bed in anticipation of something happening. So he um, was thinking, I'm going to get a good night's sleep. I can sleep, you know. Mm. And anyway, was back in. And then things progressed in a similar way to you. I don't remember anything being difficult with Annie at all. Epidural, I'd said I wanted an epidural. So there was none of this, oh, well, you can't have one. And I had air, I think, um, before I was able to then have the epidural. And hers was pretty much sort of test textbook, really. It was overnight and at 20 past seven in the morning, similar time to Matthew. Um, bless her, she was born. Um, unfortunately, whoever was holding, because somebody had to hold my leg up for the position I was in, they must have wrenched my hip. Because after the birth, I couldn't put my foot down. I kept getting nerve pain. Mm. So the physios came in to see me the next day, that day, because I couldn't, I guess you couldn't put the weight on my right leg. Yeah, it was all fine. And I came out, I think I stayed in, because I'd had her her that morning, I stayed in one day um, and then came home the next day. So that was nice to be able to stay in. Tried to breastfeed. I actually persevered a bit longer with Annie. but it was when she had blood in her mouth that I was, yeah. I thought, no, this is wrong. Yeah, that was the point I thought. And I, got, I was using nipple shields and it just wasn't happening. I think you perhaps had your nose pushed out a bit more than that, really. Apparently, having met her, he walked down the ward with your dad um, saying, I just can't believe it. Aww. I just can't believe it. And then the only other thing I, I remember of significance was, apart from you dropping her. I do remember that. Do you? Yeah, yeah, I remember. What were you thinking? I don't know. I think I was just a bit fed up and I thought I'll just put her on the floor. <laughs> I just pushed her off, I think. <laughs> apart from that, and then I only have memories of her being my little doll and carrying her around like a rag doll in very cute little fluffy outfits. So. Yeah, and she was your doll. With Annie... Eight-week check, went to the doctor. She checked my stitches. You know, they've gone, what have you. She went, whoops, they've, they've, they've um, sewn you up a bit tight. And uh, and I said, uh, oh, okay, what needs to happen? She went, 
don't worry, the first time you have sex, it'll tear and you'll be fine. Oh my God. I was like, what? What? I was like, that's not a solution. I'm going to want to have sex again. Well, that's one way to stop having children. I did have discomfort for years until in my 40s I went and had surgery for leaky bladder. And I had also um, a rectocele where part of my vagina was falling into my bowel, which was making going to the loo a bit trickier. Mm. Um, so I had all that repaired and he did a, a vaginal repair. He looked at it and he went, you've been stitched up really badly. And now you have three fully grown children. That I'm so proud of. <laughs> what can you tell us about how to how to make it through it when it feels like it, everything's a bit mad? Do things get easier do things get crazier what's the (laughs) what can you tell us I think you just I think you muddle through I think there's a lot of muddling through that goes on three children are almost easier because you entertain each other Mm. you know as a baby Annie was entertained by you more because as you said as she got bigger she became your doll basically and it was lovely because I because you and Matt were at school I still had that time with Annie that I didn't have with you and there's guilt because of that with you because I feel like should I have spent more time with you you know what is the best tip or trick that you've learnt in your many years of parenting um baby tip would be if you have formula to get liquid formula to stop tummy ache and I found that the pre-mixed Tetra Packs didn't give a tummy ache and wind, whereas the powder did. What is your funniest moment or one of the funniest moments you've had so far as either parents or grandparents? And sorry, there's a baby scrobbling in my background noise. Um, Poon Armies, having had three children and helped with two grandchildren, Jesse the three-week-old, managed to poonami me in that he had a lovely nappy for me to deal with. Thought he'd finished, but he hadn't. And it's the first time I've ever had poo shot at me at a rate of knots, which missed my face, luckily, (laughs) but actually covered me and my arm and my dress (laughs) in yellow poo. It was like a jet (laughs) firing at me. (laughs) <laughs> and Grandpa, because we were babysitting, Matt and his were at a concert. Grandpa was with me and he was almost on the floor rolling around. It was so funny. It was so, so funny. <laughs> well, now we can understand why it shoots up the back of the nappy and yeah. up the back of the baby grow, because yeah. I've never really understood that. Funniest moment. So I'll be watching for that next time. With three children now grown up, what has been a big learning for you having gone through that journey? They're all very different. So one cap doesn't fit all. Certainly with, as they grow up, nursery schools, schools. You and Matt went to the nursery very happily. Yet your little sister, even though you were there, you know, was very different. So I'd say... You can't have one one thing that fits in all directions, whether that's how you deal with your children, talk to them, their sensitivities, what they like, what they don't like. 
Certainly one of my children didn't like being spoken to, to and from school. I wonder who, which one that was, needed peace and quiet. <laughs> yeah, just, just each child is very different. So just because one enjoys one thing, uh, the next one is very different and may not. What, if anything, this is a hard one, what, if anything, would you have done differently? Spent more time with you as a second child. I had time with Matthew. I had time with Annie. I regret not having time. And I would have got a breastfeeding help. I would have paid for somebody to come Mm. breastfeed with me to give us every chance. Fair enough. What advice do you have for new mothers who are at the very beginning of their journey? Ask for help. Ask for as much help as you need. Don't be try to be super mum. You know, if you're if you're feeling sad, phone somebody up. Just ask for help all the time. Great advice. It's very easy to just be an island and think you should be coping when actually it's hard. So you decided not to go back to work after having children or to do mainly looking after the children at home. Yeah. How do you think that affected both your family? your family life and separately you as a person oh tricky um family life wise I was always there that was my main driver to always be there for you if you forgot your homework be there to help you support you in every single way um I hope you felt that I think you did yeah we definitely did yeah I I, and I definitely want to do that because I gradually learned that even though I worked part-time and during term time there were the times when you were ill, then I would get ill. So I needed flexibility in whatever I did. I tried nannies and it didn't work because they were ill and then I'd be off, you know. So it, it was a difficult juggle. And I've always said, and I've said it to you many times, that women can't have it all emotionally because you have children and you feel guilt if you're not with them if you're working and you feel guilt if you're not for yourself if you're, you're not prioritising going back to work. And for the finances of the house. So I think I got, I struck a balance because I worked term time until you were all properly at school. And I was able to have that time with you, which I will cherish for my rest of my life. The fact I did that and I spent the time with you. I'm not looking back going, oh my God, I didn't do this or I didn't do that with my children. Um, because you grow up very quickly. And it was detrimental to me in that... I didn't have a career that I could have had. And I do have regrets about that in some ways because it makes me feel as though I haven't fulfilled perhaps what I could have fulfilled. But but I still overall have that thing in my head that, no, what I did was absolutely right. A hard choice. Hard, and it upsets me still. But I would say have no guilt about going back to work because if that's right for you, it makes you a better person. Mm-hmm. What would you tell your younger self if you could jump back in time and tell her something? I have four. <laughs> <laughs> really? <laughs> Even Harvey's laughing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> have another one. Just because it's joyous. Look at you. Look at that baby smiles and laughs at you and it's joyous. Because you, you blink and it's gone. What do the next few years look like for you? I'm going to be golfing and doing things that I want to do. Um, I'm running the Airbnb still. But yeah, just spending as much time with you children and the grandchildren as possible. Developing me a bit, I think, as well. You know, I'd like to get Mm -hmm. back to doing some singing. Finally, is there anything that you'd like to share with us 
that we've not got to, that we've not talked about and we've not managed to speak about? Does anything feel important to say? I think um, when you're choosing your maternity care, look very closely at the CQC reports and where you're going and the services they have to offer. And just look for whatever helps out there because you go into it a bit blind. Thank you so much for sharing all of your experiences with us. My pleasure. Thank you, Nia. Thank you, Mum. That's all right, my darling. Loads of love. That's the end of this episode. Take care and see you next time. If you enjoyed this episode of Bloom Stories, we would so appreciate it if you could rate, review and subscribe. Apparently, it will help other mums know that we exist.